one second till it completely goes live. Make sure mm -hmm. my hair is okay, and then we'll go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. As often happens on this show, one guest is referred by another guest. And if you remember Steve Middleman from several months ago, he told me about this book he had read. It's called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. And he said, you have to read it. So I'm not much of a reader. So I got it on Audible and I listened to it and I was blown away, never thinking in a million years that the author would actually come on my show. Show, but he is here. I'm so excited to meet him. And what I'm even more excited about is that when I announced that he was coming on yesterday, a lot of you had read the book and I've got, I don't know if I'll get through these three pages of questions. So please welcome to the show, James Nestor. It's such an honor to have you here. Thanks a lot for having me. I am so excited. You know, I like I said, I really did get a lot of questions from people that have read your book. But before we get into the questions, maybe you could just tell the viewers, because I'm sure not everybody has read your book yet, a little bit about your journey and why you wrote this book. Yeah, I had never intended to write a book about breathing. That, that was like the, the last thing on my list, my long list of things to do in life. But so many strange experiences kept collecting over years and years and years. Um, experiences I had with different breathing practices, experiences writing about free divers. These are people who can hold their breath for six, seven, eight minutes at a time, dive down to depths of 200, 300 feet on a single breath of air. And I just thought maybe there's something more than just this automatic unconscious inhaling and exhaling that we're all doing. Maybe breath can teach us something about ourselves and, and help uh, us heal and, and um, live longer lives. And that's exactly what I found. But you also had a little bit of a health journey that, that corresponded with this, don't, didn't you? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, I exercise all the time. I was boxing a lot at this time and surfing and eating the right foods and sleeping right and vitamins and all that stuff. But I kept getting chronic respiratory problems, uh, bronchitis, very mild pneumonia. I was wheezing a bit. And I was told by many people that this was just normal. It was a part of just growing old, but I didn't really believe that or want to believe that. So I looked into it a little deeper and found that I was breathing in just such a dysfunctional way. I'd always assumed that breathing was this binary thing. You do it, you're alive. You, you don't do it, you're dead, but it's not. It's it's how you breathe that's so important. Just like with food, it's, it's not just that you're eating that's important. It's what foods you're eating that's really important. Yeah. Well, you talk a lot about breathing through the nose instead of the mouth. Why is this important? And how do we know what kind of breather we are? Like, can, like how am I breathing right now? Because it's hard to talk if your mouth is closed. Sure. Well, when we're talking, when we're laughing, when we're yawning, we tend to breathe through our mouths and that's totally fine. So, but when we're breathing through our mouths all the time, when it's a habit, when it's chronic, that's when you can really cause such undue damage to your body. It actually affects how we think. It affects our metabolism. It affects our heart rate, our blood pressure. If you think about it, the nose is this, I'll bring on my little guest right now. He's sitting right over here. So if, if you look at the nose, it's this is such a complex organ, right? Air is forced to go through all these structures before it goes into your lungs. But the mouth has none of the, those structures, right? So I can inhale, exhale like that. Through the nose, it takes a while. So that's good. It slows down air. The nose does. It filters it. It's our first line of defense. And so it's so vital that people breathe through their noses. 
did he, historically did did we breathe through the nose and then later on we just started becoming mouth breathers well you can't go back in time and, and see if there were too many mouth breathers but but what you can do is you can look at the skeletal record which is something i did for months and months and all of our ancestors universally it didn't matter where they came from uh, had these huge jaws, these powerful forward growing faces. And by having a face that grows more forward and this wide mouth, you have a larger airway and a larger airway means it's easier to breathe. So we know that's true. And so there was a very good chance our ancestors weren't suffering from all of the chronic sleep apnea and snoring, chronic sinusitis and other respiratory problems that are really reaching epidemic levels here. So can we learn to be nasal breathers? Of course, you shut, shut your mouth. You know, it's not, it's not that hard. And that's what so many of these, these tricks are so simple that people don't think they're going to do anything. And until you do them, until you look at the science, until you experience it yourself and, and you find what a transformative effect it has on your ability to think and sleep and and everything, exercise, performance, on and on and on. So you really know if you're if you're a mouth breather at night when you wake up and and you have a dry mouth, or if you have to drink water all the time. And I was a mouth breather at night for as long as I I could remember for for decades and decades. So throughout the day, you can just become aware of how you're breathing. And when you notice, you don't have to be a mouth breather like this. A lot of people just have their mouths barely open. And they're breathing like this. So, so it's really hard to spot. But once you become aware of it, you can really determine which pathway through which you're breathing air. So we want to try to consciously in, both inhale and exhale through the nose then? Yes. Inhale and exhale through the nose. A lot of people say, I have chronic sinusitis. My nose is plugged. I can't do that. You have to figure out a way of breathing through your nose. If you are a chronic mouth breather, it's going to be really hard for you to ever be healthy, period. That's what we're finding. So Dr. Jack or Nyack down at Stanford, chief of rhinology research there, he knows a thing or two about the nose. He told me that, you know, if the sink is clogged in your house, you find a way of clearing it. So the nose has to be considered the same thing. That's so interesting. So what diseases have you seen improved with proper breathing? You name it. I mean, from, and so I want to make something very clear. I'm going to throw this caveat out now. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a breathing therapist. I'm a science journalist who spent years and years in this field, uh, luckily talking to breathing therapists and talking to the leaders in the field of, of respiratory sciences. Um, what I have seen is that people who suffer from autoimmune diseases, anxiety, asthma, on and on, tend to be extremely poor breathers. And we know that because we can measure what's happening with their breathing, their CO2 levels and more. And when these people improve their breathing, the symptoms of their problems so con consistently will go away to the extent where some people can actually reverse their issues and not have symptoms anymore. I'm not saying this is working for everybody, I'm saying that there has been a considerable amount of science showing that how you breathe can impact various chronic diseases. Well, it seems like it, at least it would be worth a try because it's there's no cost. Well, that's exactly why a lot of us haven't really heard about this, right? It's really hard to make money off of breathing healthy. So we can make money off of uh, developing a new supplement, you know, or, or exercise equipment, but, but breathing is free. It's something we carry with us all day long. 
throughout our lives, whether or not we're exercising at a computer, watching Netflix, whatever, we're breathing and we can improve our breathing in all of these states. And when you do that, you can really improve your health. I think you said we breathe something like 25,000 times a day. Yeah, yeah, 20 to 25,000 times a day. If you who, think, who sat there and counted? It's, uh, well, you, you look at the average amount of breaths uh, per minute, and then, you know, you can multiply that by, by hour and then hours per day. But the Chinese actually prescribed 13,000 breaths a day. So they sat around and counted, which is, you know, almost half of, of what is considered normal for us now, which really makes you, makes you think, what are we doing wrong? We know that slower, softer, deeper breaths have a profound effect on your health, on your nervous system function, on your oxygenation. So they obviously knew something and, and applied it to their day-to-day -day lives. You know, I had a Tai Chi master on this show and he said something about slowing down the breathing leading to a longer life. Mm -hmm. There's a quote by BKS Angar who said that the yogi's life is not measured by his days, but by his breaths. So if you think about the markers we do know that are indicative of lifespan, we have heart rate, a lower resting heart rate is traditionally going to mean that you're going to be able to live a longer life as, as far as the, the data adds up. And what is the way to keep a heart rate lower is to breathe slower. It's really hard to have a slow resting heart rate if you are, which is what so many people are doing, especially now in these anxious times. Yeah. So Sharon, who's watching live says, do you recommend taping your mouth shut while you sleep? And I seem to remember like about 20 years ago in LA hearing about something, I think it was called the Butenko method. It was some center where they actually told you to do that. Yeah, so, so Konstantin Buteko was a Russian cardiologist who had extremely high blood pressure, 212, um, you know, which is insane. And he was told that he was going to die in a year. And he found a way of controlling his breathing and bringing his blood pressure down considerably. And he went and disseminated this information for years and years and years. So Buteko is, all of their therapies revolve around one thing breathe less. We're breathing too more. Just like so many of us are eating too much food, we're breathing too much air. By breathing less, it actually allows your body to do more because by breathing less, we're breathing normally. So one of the things they say is to use this stuff, sleep tape. And a lot of people think about taping at night or using this tape like it's some hostage scenario. It's not. You take a piece, this is... Um, has this very mild adhesive on it. It's micropore tape, surgical tape, and you put it right here. That's the technology, everybody, sleep tape. It's supposed to come off very easily. So I'm a huge fan of this stuff. I, it sounded like complete, complete quackery to me until I was down at Stanford and Dr. Ann Kearney prescribes this to all of her patients because if you're sleeping with your mouth open like that, um, you're stressing your body out, you're making yourself more susceptible to both sleep, some forms of sleep apnea and snoring. So you gotta close your mouth and, and taping is one way of doing that. If you wear like a device, like I have to wear this retainer, can you still do it? It depends on what kind of retainer um, you have and, and what you're using it for. If it's for bruxism, if it's to move the jaw up, there's so many of these devices right now that are moving our jaws up to the way they were supposed to have been to open our airways. 
to inhibit sleep apnea and snoring. So, so this could potentially even help somebody that has sleep apnea. Uh, um, once again, I will say uh, there have been a, a couple studies done on this. Uh, me personally, when I did the Stanford study and breathed only through my mouth for 10 days, I instantly got sleep apnea and snoring. And the day I breathed through my nose, um, it went down precipitously until a couple of days later, I had zero. And I have heard this by hundreds and hundreds of people with mild snoring and mild sleep apnea. I wanna be very clear, this is not a fix for everyone. This is not a blanket prescription that this is all you need to do. It works for some people and it works amazingly well. I mean, just today I received like five emails of people saying my husband's been snoring for 30 years. He put a little piece of tape on his mouth that he's no longer snoring. Why didn't somebody tell me about this 30 years ago? Uh, mostly because it's free, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard to make money off this stuff which doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. Well, I'm sure my husband would love it if I taped my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, my wife loves it. Um, you know, she makes fun of me all the time, but, but such is life. So how is it that lung capacity is associated with longevity? Yeah, so they did this fascinating study uh, with the Framingham uh, cardiovascular, this longitudinal study uh, that's been around like 70 years where they've been tracing people throughout their lives and, and seeing who dies and of what for, you know, how long they lived. And they found, this was back in the 80s, they found that lung size and respiratory health was the most accurate marker of lifespan. So the larger your lungs were, the better they were, the longer you were going to live. Um, so much so that uh, I didn't include this in the book, but they found that patients who had lung transplants and were given lungs that were larger, lived way longer than those who are giving lungs that were of normal size or smaller. So no matter how you get those lungs, um, larger lungs um, and, and healthier respiratory system means you're gonna live a longer life because of course it does. It's a larger gas tank. You can do, you can do more with less effort with those larger lungs and breathe easier. Oh. Uh, Dina, who's watching live, says she's worried she'd swallow the tape. I don't, I don't think that is a or should be a worry for people. Do you? I've never heard of of that. Uh, I will say that I'm not saying this is a this is a treat when you first try to use it. I would suggest, and I learned this from breathing therapists, that use it during the day first. We're all at home anyway. Maybe not during a Zoom call. That, that's a little weird. But, you know, when you're not on calls, when you're sitting there looking through all your emails, put a teeny piece of tape on, get used to that nasal breathing, then work it into uh, nighttime. I've, I've never heard of uh, any danger of, of swallowing it. And I will mention for kids, they, they've developed this stuff, uh, which actually goes around the mouth. So it just... That, you know, the point of this isn't to hermetically seal the mouth shut, right? It's just to very gently remind you to keep your mouth shut at night. That's neat. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting about the mouth breathing and dehydration and why people are so thirsty when they wake up. Because I'm not, but my husband is, but he, he, he has sleep apnea, even though he's really skinny and he does sleep with his mouth open. Yeah, um, you know, sleep apnea, it, it affects huge population, not only ob obese people, but skinny people, uh, fit people, very muscular people. Um, weightlifters traditionally have sleep apnea, which is why they hold their necks out like this so they can open their airways. So that's a huge population of people who have sleep apnea. 
uh, we lose uh, more than 40% more moisture breathing through our mouth. So if you wonder why you're waking up uh, so dehydrated, it's because you are mouth breathing. And if you wonder why you're out jogging and some people now wear those little belts with like six little water bottles on it and they're jogging around <laughs> with their mouths open, you got to shut your mouth. <laughs> you're going to save, you know, more than 40% of, of, of your moisture just shutting your mouth. You won't need that water bottle on a three mile run. Yeah, that's interesting. I must be more of a nose breather than I realized because I, I don't ever get thirsty very much. So maybe I'm unconsciously breathing more through my nose than I realize. That's a good thing. Maybe you're hydrating properly as well. Yeah. You know, well, well also, I've done yoga for many years. And in yoga, I, I, it's not exactly what you teach, but it's, it's better than what most people do, the breathing that they teach in yoga. It's slower. Yoga is breathing. Yoga, you know, yoga began, there were no movements in yoga. There were no downward dogs and vinyasa flow is a hundred years old. So, and yoga itself is 4,000 years old, you know? So, so yoga is a technology of breathing. I don't know of any yoga that doesn't have breath at its absolute core. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's interesting. It's interesting how breathing less can actually help us absorb more oxygen. <laughs> yeah, it's so counterintuitive. This took me months to really understand. But when I say breathing less, this is really breathing normally, uh, because so many of us are, are habitually over breathing. What you want to do is to breathe in line with your metabolic needs, which for the vast majority of us is breathing less. So by breathing less, you're able to, to hold on to more CO2. And CO2 in the body is a very good thing, as long as it doesn't get to excessive levels. It actually dislodges oxygen and, and enables our cells to get oxygen to create energy, to create ATP. So this breathing slowly and through the nose is, is so important because the nose is a regulator of airflow. It's really hard to hyperventilate when you're breathing through the nose. It's very easy when you're breathing through the mouth. Well, speaking of the nose, the thing that freaked me out the most about your book is why does our nose have erectile tissue? That is bizarre. Yeah, you know, God was just playing a, a trick on us with that one. So our noses are covered with the same tissue as exists in our genitals and it responds in the same way. So some people have such a close connection between their genitalia and their noses that when they get sexually excited, their noses stuff up and they start sneezing uncontrollably. So a lot of us luckily don't, don't have such a close connection, but um, you know, this is, uh, there, there's a reason why our noses are able to open and close throughout the day. Our nostrils dictate different functions in our body and our noses naturally do this. One nostril will open, the other will close throughout the day. It's kind of a beautiful thing if you think about it. Wow. Well, Steve Middleman, the comedian who was on the show that referred you is, is, is watching live and he says, I've been taping at night for months and it works. Linda loves that the snoring has stopped. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got real, we recorded actually what happened with real scientific instruments. And a lot of people may not have, you know, doing polysomnographs, uh, you know, at their house, but their mates certainly know that they aren't snoring and they certainly wake up feeling more refreshed. So, so yeah, I've just heard this by so many people. And, and that's to me, the most thrilling thing about getting this information out is, it can have a really direct and instantaneous effect on someone's health uh, and it's free. 
Yeah. Free. I like it. Billy says, I'm so excited you're hosting James today. My wife just started reading the book to me while we've been riding in the car. She knew it would resonate with me because it matches so much what I teach to our Tai Chi and Kung Fu students based on the traditions passed down by my teachers. Yeah. And, and that's what you find when you look at breathing and how we've understood breathing and how we've used it throughout the past few thousand years. The Hindus were onto this stuff thousands of years ago. Ancient Chinese were onto it. They had eight books dedicated to breathing in, in the Tao. Um, all the awful things that are going to happen to you if you do it improperly and all the good things that are going to happen if you do it well. And so many of those lessons that were in the Tao have now been scientifically studied. Breathe slowly, breathe through your nose. Uh, do some breath holds to get your breathing to control. You know, and these these books were written thousands of years ago. So it's just fascinating. It's taken Western medicine that that long to really catch up. Yeah. Well, that's why you call it the, the new science of a lost art, right? It's a new science. It's a lost art. And hopefully it's not lost uh, any longer. You, you see throughout cultures, these huge waves of interest. I mean, yoga, science of breathing, um, Qigong, uh, that means breath work, you know science of breathing. And um, so many other cultures have celebrated this stuff as a medicine for so long. And it really feels like this is starting to filter into um, our system of medicine right now, which is so thrilling. I find when I breathe slowly, I feel very calm. I have really bad anxiety and I've never been able to meditate, but I can breathe. And then I just, it just, it just, it immediately calms me down when I breathe slowly. Yeah. And what's, what's neat about this is it's so easy to measure. It's, it's not like some placebo effect you can, and, and I've done a bunch of this over several years. You can see what happens to your heart rate, to your blood pressure, to your nervous system function, heart rate variability, even what's happening to your brain by just switching your breathing. So if ever people say, Oh, this is just a placebo effect, get some instruments and measure it yourself. And, and you can see, and if those transformations can take place in just a couple of minutes, imagine what's going to happen if you adopt these healthy breathing patterns for, for hours or for days or for months. Yeah. You mentioned heart rate variability and Shonda wanted to know if you could recommend a good one that measures that. The best one that I've ever found is heart math. It's, it's expensive, um, you know, and, and the UX isn't so hot but it is by far the most accurate. You wear the electrode on your ear because your ear is closer to your heart. There's the WHOOP heart rate variability monitor now. I'm sure people are familiar with this. This is peripheral. So it's at the end of your arm. So look at how far away that is from your heart. So whenever you're measuring heart rate variability, it's important to have it as close to your heart as, as you can. So I'm not saying WHOOP doesn't work, but I do have a friend of mine, Brian McKenzie, who has worn two WHOOPs one on his right hand, one on his left hand, vastly different readouts. So, so, so it makes, makes you wonder how accurate those are. That's a long way of saying heart math's the best. They've been around the longest and they, they know this science the, um, the most deeply. Mandy's saying, is there an exact name to the tape you recommend or can it just be any tape? No, you can go on, on Amazon or whatever and you can see specific sleep tapes. There's something called Somnifix works great. This stuff I use 3M, 3M surgical sensitive skin micropore tape. think I got that all correct. I found this works great. Um, you don't want to find stuff that's too sticky and you don't want to find stuff with like a chemically scent. So I went through about 10 different types of tape before I found it. Don't use masking tape or gorilla tape or duct tape, obviously. So this surgical tape uh, works 
there's various brands that can work just as well. I'm not, I don't have any allegiance to one brand or, or another, but um, this 3M tape uh, works okay for me. Other people like other stuff. Yeah, don't, don't use super glue. That's a bad idea. Yeah, don't, don't use super glue. Again, the point is not to seal this off. It's people say, well, I can just open my mouth and tape comes off. Exactly. So at any time you want to open, really open your mouth, the tape just comes off. Yeah. You know, it'd be cool if like you just included one piece with the book. Yeah. You know, I've gotten a lot of offers to, to start up with a James Nestor uh, brand sleep tape, and I'm just opposed to all that sort of crap. Uh, I, I think it would it would be fun to to include some with the book. Maybe we'll do that with a with a paperback, just there's a little strip on the back or something. Love that idea. Yeah, that would be good. I think that'd be a good, um, very good marketing ideas. Yeah. You, you talked about the Stanford sleep experiment. Could you talk a little bit about more about what that is? Sure. So uh, I'm lucky enough to live very close to Stanford. I'm in San Francisco. So I use their medical library all the time. I've just pillaged so many resources from them. And I got to be pretty good friends with Dr. Jayakar Nayak, who is the chief of renology research down there various interviews over various months, big nose guy, as I mentioned before. And so he knows all the benefits of nasal breathing and all the problems associated with mouth breathing. But when I asked him, I said, hey, how long does it take this damage of mouth breathing to come on? He had no idea. So we developed a little experiment. Um, he had no money allocated, so we had to pay for this out of pocket, which at Stanford was, was not the cheapest thing I've ever paid for. But two of us were in an experiment where we just breathe through our mouths for 10 days and we just breathe through our noses for 10 days. And we collected tons of data uh, throughout the day just to see how it was affecting our minds and our bodies and our sleep and our athletic performance and more. Right. That's really neat. People are saying they really like your voice and that's why they like the audible so much. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I'll, I'll tell you a little backstory of that uh, audiobook uh, recording. Uh, so I was slated to um, here in San Francisco, go to this really slick studio with like good lights and a nice chair and, you know, probably really good drinks in the refrigerator. And uh, I was supposed to record that on March 29th. Well, uh, you know, we, we know what happened. I think it was March 28th. Um, we know what happened is, is COVID came. So that uh, whole audiobook was actually recorded in a shed in my backyard, surrounded by moving blankets, uh, me hunched over with a single little light. So the most um, unconducive environment for proper breathing that you could ever uh, imagine, which was quite of ironic that I was dictating a, a book about breathing. So uh, <laughs> under a complete uh, uh, stress and pain that was recorded, and it's it's just bizarre that uh, it, it the engineer was good enough to, to actually snip out all the dog barks and UPS dudes and helicopters and, and sprinklers that were going off the whole time. Well, considering, I think it, I think it came out really well. Oh, thank you. You can still hear that stuff here and there. If you listen really closely, you can hear my my dog barking at the FedEx guy on occasion. But uh, we did what we could with what we had. So thank you very much. For well, that. animals breathe through their nose. I mean, right? Except when they're panting. Absolutely. Yeah. Dogs breathe through their mouth all the time to thermoregulate. That's why they're breathing through their mouth. Check out your dog, unless you have a pug or a bulldog. They have a bunch of jaw airway issues. So they're, they're mouth breathers a lot. But 
they're sleeping with their mouths closed. I mean, look at any of the other animals in, in other mammals, right? They're, they're sleeping with their mouths closed. So we are the only animal that, that is chronically sleeping like this. <sighs> you know, and it's, it's really bad news for, I could get into the whole why sleep apnea is bad, why snoring is bad, but it's, it's disastrous for our health. Well, how did we get how did we get so far away from our evolutionary roots if if we weren't supposed to breathe like this? And, and is there a certain sleeping position that would be more favorable? Well, uh, we weren't supposed to live in the society that we're we're living in right now. You know, um, we we aren't evolved to to sit for sixteen hours a day or to to look at at computers for this long or to eat processed food, and and so our, our bodies don't quite know what to do. The idea that for all of human history, we had perfectly straight teeth and wide airways and these powerful jaws, and just in the past 300 years, we're now completely obstructed is bizarre and really sad to me. But with knowledge, we have power, and with this power, we can find ways of, of fixing it. So, you know, it, it really depends. Sleeping positions, we know that you're less apt to suffer from some, some forms of snoring and sleep apnea on your side. Uh, sleeping on your back, you've got gravity working against you. If you don't have um, obstructive breathing or dysfunctional breathing, sleeping on your back is, is totally fine. Um, so it depends what you have. If, if you have sleep apnea because of obesity, sleeping on your side can be beneficial. So it's just so many people have different sleep problems, different breathing problems. That's another thing that's, that's bizarre is if you don't have it, someone you know has chronic sinusitis or sleep apnea or snoring or hyperventilation or anxiety or asthma or COPD, it's just like, this has become a, a global epidemic. That's incredible. You mentioned that you had uh, recorded your audible version during COVID. And I'm wondering if uh, what, what you say about masks, does that affect our oxygenation? Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked this quite quite often. I've seen various studies and there's no oxygen deficiency wearing a mask. And they've done studies wearing very light, gauzy um, handkerchiefs, um, bandanas to surgical masks, to cloth masks. And all people need to do if they're worried about this is get one of these things. It's a pulse oximeter, it costs about 20 bucks on Amazon wear your mask and you're gonna see that there is not an oxygen deficiency while you're wearing the mask. What is happening is you will be tending to get a little more CO2. The trigger that causes us to breathe is not oxygen, it is carbon dioxide. So if you exhale and you hold your breath and you feel that need to breathe, that is elevating levels of CO2 that is causing you to breathe. So I take mask wearing um, as an opportunity to focus on my breath, to breathe slowly and to breathe through my nose. And uh, I, if you look at it like that, instead of a burden, I think you can use it to sort of empower yourself and, and to get some proper breathing in while you're wearing that mask. Oh, I like that you took the positive spin because I look at it, even though I live in the desert, it's really cold here right now. It's like, it's like lower than 70, which my body isn't used to. And so the mask actually keeps me warm. Yeah, it, it can keep you warm, uh, you know, and I, I want to be clear that just because you're wearing a mask doesn't mean it's okay to breathe through your mouth. Um, you could still really overexpose yourself to a high viral load breathing through your mouth, no matter if you're wearing a mask. 
So our nose is our first line of defense against viruses, against bacteria, against pathogens, against pollutants. That's what this big filter is doing. Um, so you got to breathe through your nose. I know I used to volunteer at a nursing home and a lot of the residents would tape their nose up here at night. That was something different, right? Yeah, and all those hacks are great. Big fan of them. Um, those are breathe right strips. And what they do is they pull the skin up to open up the nostrils to allow you to breathe more easily. And they also have these inserts called uh, mute inserts. And you put them up your nose and they expand your nostrils. You can get 30% more air. I just think it's so bizarre that we're developing all of these technologies to make us the way we were before we screwed ourselves up with technologies. It's just crazy, but you know, whatever keeps American open for business, I guess is a good oh, thing. That is funny. I'm sure this is, the, you could say this in other areas too, that, yeah. you know, that's where they get that saying, everything old is new again, right? So yeah. Jill, Jill says, my husband is taping at night, but he's still snoring. Any advice? By the way, I love your book and I have recommended it to thousands of people. That's a lot of people, Jill. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and this is why I want to be clear. This is not a blanket prescription for everyone. It's not a, a fix for everyone. People snore for different reasons. People have sleep apnea for different reasons. Sleep apnea can occur in the nasopharynx and the oropharynx and the hypopharynx. So depending on where that sleep apnea is occurring, um, sleep tape may work or it may not work for you. Um, I would suggest... Um, there is something called oral pharyngeal exercises. And if you think of the throat and all of these different areas, all this is is a muscle, right? It's just like any other muscle. The less you use it, the flabbier it's gonna get. This doesn't matter if you're overweight, if you're skinny, whatever. We now eat the majority of our foods are very soft, so we don't work out this muscle. And they found in various studies that exercising the tongue and the mouth to tone the throat can significantly decrease snoring. Is it gonna work for everyone? No, but it's worked for a lot of people, so much so that it's been scientifically documented. So you can check that out. There was a study in CHEST, uh, which is a renowned journal, scientific journal. Just type in oropharyngeal exercises for snoring or sleep apnea, and you can see the exercises right there. Well, people are really liking your voice, James. They're, they're, they're saying, yeah, maybe you should do some meditation tapes or something for people. Um, uh, yeah, I, I need to remain objective here. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. But um, I want to be a science journalist who can always call BS and support where the real science is. Um, and so I am, I'm not going to become a breathing therapist. Luckily, there's so many incredible breathing therapists out there. Patrick McEwen, um, renowned for asthma and anxiety, Anders Olson, so many other people. And I'll, I'll leave that work to them, to the real pros. Thank you. Well, you do great on Audible. Mitzi says, is there a side to sleep on that's preferred, like left or right? Yeah, that's a great question as well. Uh, personal preference. Uh, we do know that if you eat a late meal, if you sleep on your left side, you will have a significantly less chance of suffering from heartburn. And that is because the, the stomach and, and pancreas naturally falls on that side, on your left side. And this is why yogis always prescribed uh, for naps after lunch 
to always nap on your left side. They also believed that breathing through the right nostril is heating to your body. It helps to heat your body up and it helps with digestion. So whether or not that's true, we're not sure, but we do know that left side sleeping for eating. Um, but e either side from, from what I've seen, there's no clear science on either side. Side sleeping um, can be really beneficial for, for people, especially for people uh, who are pregnant or people who are overweight for, for their breathing. It can be really helpful. I imagine face down is probably not preferred. It depends. Uh, it really depends. Uh, this is how they're, they're laying uh, COVID patients down right now. They, they used to lay them on their backs. But if you take a big breath in now, most of that expansion, we think it's happening in the chest. It's not. It's happening in the back. So if you're lying on your back, you're inhibiting that free, easy breath. Again, if, if you don't have any breathing problems, uh, sleeping on your back's just fine. But if you do, try uh, sleeping on your side and, and you'll see that. And, and, and if you're sick and have respiratory issues, pneumonia or other problems, uh, at least uh, laying down on your stomach and breathing can, can have a lot of benefits to really help open up your lungs. You know, I just remember, because I've had so many jobs in my life, 40 years ago, I used to be a respiratory therapist. And we didn't, the only time we ever taught breathing exercises to patients was if, were if they had COPD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really effective for, for COPD, especially inspiratory muscle training can be effective. But it's especially effective for, for asthma. I can't tell you, and these are NIH studies. This is real science. But so many asthmatics have been just given bronchodilators and oral steroids, which work beautifully, by the way. They're so good to keep symptoms at bay, but they do nothing for the core problem of asthma. And they actually can make some forms of asthma much worse. So, so they're not fixing the, the real issue. But, you know, these people discover how to breathe properly and it absolutely changes their life. And, um, you know, there's thousands of people that Patrick McEwen has, has trained and he was had severe asthma himself and now suffers almost almost no symptoms of asthma just by switching his breathing, changing the way he breathes. Yeah. You know, I've heard you say, I've listened to a few podcasts you did that how we uh, how we breathe is just as important, maybe even more so than how we eat. But how has the modern industrialized diet affected how we breathe? Mm, it's a great question. Um, it's made us overweight and that can affect how we breathe. Uh, if we have too much, too much fat around here, it inhibits our lung capacity, us being able to take these deep breaths. And sadly, we need oxygen to burn fat. So once, once you get that way, it's harder to lose weight. Women have about 30% less lung capacity than, than men. So it's, that's one reason why some researchers think it's harder for women to lose weight than it is men. Um, the good news is you can change your lung capacity. You can influence it. You can enable yourself to have larger lungs and take these deeper breaths. How do you do it? There's this thing called yoga where you stretch like this and you breathe in, you stretch like this. There's this thing called Tai Chi, right? There's this thing called Qigong. So we've had all these systems for, for so long to enable us to expand our lung capacity and breathe these, these deeper breaths. Neat. So Robin says, being an asthmatic, what breathing tips can you recommend? Probably everything you've said today, I would imagine. 
I think that everyone, doesn't matter if you have asthma or you're an ultra marathoner or you have autoimmune issues or you know, you're a weightlifter, everyone can benefit from some very simple things. Become aware of your breathing, number one. Number two, breathe through your nose. Breathe through your nose all the time. Inhale and exhale through your nose. Breathe slowly, breathe light, and breathe deep. So just those things in and of themselves, um, that's the foundation. But for if someone wants to, I would highly suggest someone with asthma, look at Patrick McEwen's work. This guy's got a heart of gold. Uh, he was going to be a, a businessman, but instead dedicated his life to helping people with asthma because he had suffered from it him, himself. So he, uh, Breathing Therapist is great. He offers virtual courses that can be very effective. Do not get off your bronchodilators and say, I'm just going to uh, breathe myself well. This has to be done very carefully and very slowly. But I'd start with those tips. You can read some of Patrick's books as well. And uh, I would suggest um, uh, taking a course with him. They're, they're pretty affordable too, because they're virtual. Well, maybe I'll contact him. Maybe he could be on the show. He sounds like he'd be a terrific guest. Fantastic guy. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So this is a fun question from Julie. She says, are there, because you had mentioned about there could be a, a correlation between obesity and the breathing, and maybe it's harder to lose weight. She goes, are there breathing exercises specifically to help people lose weight? The same things I mentioned. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's it's really universal. It doesn't matter if, if you're about to run a triathlon or, or you know, you're sitting at home. Uh, so breathe, engage the diaphragmatic movement more. Okay, so there's this thing that sits below the lungs. Our lungs just don't inflate and deflate themselves, right? Something needs to cause them to do that. And it's the diaphragm. It's this huge muscle that lowers when we inhale and it lifts when we exhale. Most of us are using just a fraction of that movement. It is so essential to use that diaphragm, to take in that deep breath and to exhale. Don't push it, this isn't a competition. We've also found that diaphragmatic movement actually dictates um, blood flow too. The diaphragm, some researchers say, is, is the number one uh, pump. Uh, the heart is secondary. So moving that diaphragm also enables you to move lymph fluid, which is so important to get those toxins out of your body. So I could go on and on and on about this, but, but it's, it's the, the same tips for, for everyone. Start with that, and then you can get more specific once you've mastered those things. Right. So Nancy, who's watching live today, submitted this question yesterday. She's read your book and was reading your book and said she's fascinated by how food can affect the structure of the mouth, which leads to problems. So what foods do you recommend? And I also want to know why is masticating so important? Your audio is starting to fade out. Yeah, I, AJ. So just, just a heads up. I, I got most of that. So, so what has happened is there, there's the, the, I apologize. There was a, there was a noise. I could repeat the question. It was about why oh, no. masticating. Okay. I got it. So, so there, there's a reason why all of our ancestors had these, gorgeous, huge, wide mouths and perfectly straight teeth. They chewed a lot. They chewed for about four hours a day. You don't need to chew for four hours a day, but, but chewing whole foods allows you to elicit that masticatory stress, especially in early stages of development, which are so essential for growing a wider mouth and having a healthier airway. So for those of us who grew up in the 70s and 80s, like I did, and 
ate nothing but soft, mushy, industrial crap. Like here we are in middle age. What are we to do? Those oral pharyngeal exercises can be very effective, but also just chewing real food. For some people, chewing gum, if you have TMJ problems, I wouldn't suggest chewing gum for an hour a day. But but if you don't uh, chew gum, I chew this rock hard Turkish gum, sugar-free Turkish gum called Faleem, big fan of that. But I also try to eat whole foods. Um, you know, raw foods are great too. It's just funny, this, you know, this stuff is not complex. It seems like so much of what we're learning in medicine right now is what our ancestors were doing hundreds of years ago, eating whole foods, um, you know, breathing properly, exercising at moderate levels throughout the day. <laughs> this is how we evolved as a species and we've completely lost touch with just these simple practices. You know, it's funny, a, a doctor that I have on the show frequently, Dr. Doug Lyle is saying that all the need for young kids having all this orthodontic work is because they don't chew food anymore. Because think about it, like chicken nuggets, you can just swallow those whole. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, chewing starts in infancy. They've done studies looking at infants who were breastfed versus those who were bottle fed. And those who are breastfed will have a significantly decreased chance of having snoring and sleep apnea later on in life. Because when you're breastfed, you are pulling your face out, right? You're widening your face and the upper palate is able to fall down. So anecdotally, I've heard from so many parents, including some close friends of mine, and their kids who were breastfed versus bottle fed, ones who were breastfed have perfectly straight teeth, <laughs> you know, and the ones who bottle fed have, have headgear and braces and all that. And, and uh, that's not too much of a leap. It makes, it makes perfect sense. You're, you're setting the foundation of how you're going to look uh, in infancy in those early stages of development. Yeah, I was born in 1960 and my mom said it just wasn't fashionable to breastfeed back then. So of course I had braces like when I was seven. So thanks mom. Anyway. <laughs> too, but I, I told my mom, uh, you know, the same thing. I was, I was breastfed for six months. She's like, that was so long. She's like, nobody did that. And I had braces, extractions, headgear, all that crap, you know? Yeah. Oh boy. So I, I, this is what I'm most interested to talk to you about because I have panic disorder, but it's very well controlled through diet and exercise and keeping a very calm environment. Moving out of LA really helped. And even before I learned about this in your book, I, it was just something anecdotal that I would tell my psychologist and he goes, hmm, that's interesting. But humming, when I hum, I can, I can like ward off a panic attack. So there was a study done about 10 years ago where Dr. Alicia Miret, she was at Stanford and Harvard, now she's at SMU. She took a bunch of panic sufferers and just adjusted their breathing. Whenever they felt a panic attack coming on, she would have them breathe more slowly. And she was able to see a panic attack an hour before it happened by how they were breathing. So again, it goes back to those slow, deep, easy breaths. A lot of people, when they suffer from panic or asthma, they're so scared. They associate holding your breath with that attack so what they do is when they feel the attack coming on, they start breathing more and more. The more you breathe, the more vasoconstriction you're causing, the more you're gonna elicit that attack. So when you feel that coming on, breathe slowly, breathe deeply and breathe lightly. And humming, what that does is it increases this miracle molecule called nitric oxide, which helps in vasodilation, circulation and oxygenation. Um, nitric oxide, is the molecule that is released um, with Viagra. So Viagra does what it does 
because it releases nitric oxide in the body. So we, we can create our own quasi de facto natural Viagra by just humming, 15 fold increase by just humming. That's amazing. And also it just always puts me in a good mood when I hum. Yeah, if you think about humming, how do you hum? You close your mouth and it forces you to slow down your breathing. You, it's hard to hum like, ah, you know, that, that's not called humming. Humming is, mm. so, so it's just a way of training you to breathe more slowly. And the side benefit is you get that nitric oxide release. Okay, so I have some questions that were texted to me by two previous guests, Schiff and Mitty. And they ask, how do you stay conscious of breathing through your nose? You stay conscious through breathing through your nose by becoming aware of your breathing um, and by using a little piece of tape. Luckily, well, I, I guess luckily, uh, so many of us are, are working from home now. Not a lot of us, um, at least if you were a corporate worker, I know a lot of uh, wonderful hospital workers are, are working in the field right now, but this is an opportunity if you happen to have the opportunity to be working from home to start taping your mouth up. Um, and I know this seems weird, but it just conditions you to become more comfortable with breathing through your nose. So awareness, mouth tape, but mostly awareness. Maybe set a little alarm on your phone every half an hour, 40 minutes, or an hour. When that goes off, become aware of how you're breathing. I was lucky enough to get a bunch of different instruments, and I would calculate and measure how I was breathing throughout the day, um, just unconsciously. And I was a complete disaster. And I think I was like most people, um, 80%, one estimate is 80% of office workers suffer from something called sleep or, or email apnea, um, where their breathing is so dysfunctional. I was certainly one of those. So that I would start with those things. And what you want to do is to do this for long enough that these things become an unconscious uh, habit, right? You don't want to have to walk around with a notepad or alarms on your phone or any of that. But it takes a while. It can take weeks or months to create a good habit. I just want to tell you, I'm so excited. I'm getting all these texts from renowned people saying what a great guest you are and how much they're enjoying your book. So thank you so much. It's really such, such an honor to have you on. So here's some more questions from Midi and Schiff. It sounds like a company does Midi and Schiff. You know, how long does it take for one to adapt to nose breathing? It depends entirely on, on the individual. So some people can switch very quickly. Some people who have been jogging or some athletes who have been habitually mouth breathing, uh, a lot of runners um, are mouth breathers. It can take them months to adapt. And what's gonna happen when you switch to nasal breathing, your performance is gonna go down. So a lot of people, when they switch, they say, this is idiotic. Why do I want, want my performance to go down? It will go down and then it will come up and as we've seen from various studies, your performance, your athletic performance and your recovery can be cut in half. Your performance can vastly improve by just breathing through your nose. I've heard this from marathon runners, from cyclists, from rowers and more. And again, the science is out there, it's clear. Nice. Layla says, what if you have a deviated septum is the only solution surgery? Yeah, so um, about 75% of the human population has a septum that is clearly deviated to the naked eye. So whenever an ENT says, oh, you have a deviated septum, we have to do surgery. The vast majority of us have a deviated septum. It depends how deviated that septum is. Um, 
Some people absolutely need surgery and surgery is a life changer for them for sure. But a lot of people don't. And that's what we're finding. What they need to do is develop healthy breathing habits. They need proper oral posture. They need myofunctional therapy. They need to let their bodies heal themselves and adapt themselves. Anecdotally, I took a CAT scan, a CBT, uh, CT scan at Stanford and Nyack looked at my scan and he's like, you are a disaster. I've broken my nose like three times, severely deviated septum. He's like, you're a perfect candidate for surgery. But then I talked to the breathing therapist um, down the hall and she said, let's see what we can do with your natural body. And I marked like huge benefits from just doing things naturally. Again, not saying this is going to work for everyone, but start with the soft and easy stuff. And if after a few months, you're still not getting progress, that's when I would start entertaining the idea of having deeper interventions. Great. Thank you. And Mitty writes, uh, can you talk while breathing through your nose? <laughs> well, I was talking to some breathing therapists who had the uh, habit of doing this. They're talking, 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 and then they stopped and went, and then they're talking, talking, talking. Uh, if we lived in a world that allowed us to take a, a pause to breathe, inhale through our nose, uh, it would be a wonderful place. But doing radio interviews and podcast interviews, no one's going to allow me to sit here and, and stop and pause for four seconds and start up again. It's pretty weird talking to, to people who do that. I'm not saying the benefits aren't there, but it's just not realistic in this, this day and age. Um, so one thing I would suggest doing is, as you see, I'm breathing through my mouth right now. I'm talking, right? Uh, sometimes I'm exhaling a little bit. This is fine as long as it's not a habit. When I'm talking about nasal breathing and mouth breathing, I'm talking about habitual chronic breathing, as long as you're not doing it at night. Uh, you know, everyone should laugh as much as they possibly can. You're breathing through your mouth when you're laughing. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, some pranayamas have you breathe through your mouth. They're wonderful. Um, talking about habitual. Um, but whenever I pause and when I listen, I'm trying to breathe through my nose as often as I can because I know I'm breathing through my mouth while I'm talking. What about ventriloquists? Aren't they breathing through their, they're not, they're not opening their lips. So they have to be breathing, right? If we could all talk like ventriloquists, uh, I think that would be a skill that I am going to develop for, for future podcasts. That, that's a great... <laughs> I, I've never thought of that before. I think that don't they have a little? Isn't there a little space? I wish I, there was. I don't one. know because you know I actually took a class once in ventriloquism, and I don't know if there's a little space. Can you see but, a little space? Aren't you exhaling a little bit through your mouth? I think I'm just. Uh, I'm, it's hard to know. I really don't know. I, I wish I had my puppet here because you yeah. know it would it'd be better. So I don't know. This interview is getting. <laughs> so good uh but i'm you know what i'm gonna start doing that uh ventriloquism for for all all future podcasts in 2021 you guys have inspired okay me. you're gonna love this james but you know I, I only took a few classes i'm not really that good and i actually do have a couple of puppets uh, and one of the puppets actually looks like me when i'm being a chef but there is a company that will make a puppet that looks exactly like you I'm seeing a future here for me. I can have one like like good nester on this hand, bad nester on this hand, and uh, we'll just have them duke it out on these podcasts. Yeah. Oh, you're you're terrific. So so Shifty said, I find I dream more with my mouth taped while sleeping. Is this possible? 
you are getting more oxygen. Okay. You're, you're relaxing yourself a little more. Um, you're getting better sleep. There is a good chance if you had some sort of obstruction and you were waking up throughout the night that you are now able to enter into deeper stages of sleep and REM sleep. So uh, my hypothesis here, just based on a few things I know, is is that seems very possible. I certainly had the the exact same reaction, and other people have had the same reaction as, as well. I wish that they could study this with some good EEG studies, and and maybe if there's a researcher out there um, inspired to do so, I think that that would be great. Nice. Let's see. Oh, here's one from Queen of Aries. I have environmental allergies in the back of my nose. Do you think breathing exercises would help clear it out more often? I have dropped medication, but would love to stop it. I didn't get the, the first part of that. It broke up a little bit. Sorry, environmental allergies in the back of her nose. Uh, yeah, so this is something that that Buteco method um, is really effective uh, for, uh, again, not, not for everybody, for a lot of people, for, for allergies, seasonal allergies, um, is that slower breathing, that focused breathing is, uh, can be very, very effective for, for allergies as well, as well as asthma. Right. So uh, Ka Carla is asking, how do you breathe lightly and deeply at the same time? It's extremely easy. I just did it right there. So, so just because, uh, Deep does not mean deep and light means slow. So all of these, if you think of it like a triangle. So if you're breathing slowly, you're breathing deeply and you're breathing lightly. So the, these things are not countering with, with one another. And, and I should mention, uh, AJ, I have another interview in about a minute. Yeah, so that's okay. Cause it's, uh, and, and you know what? I actually am doing a webinar for Forks Over Knives, which I hope everyone will join us at two o'clock. So this is perfect. I just, you're just so fun to talk to. I apologize. I could just keep talking to you. So I would love to come back sometime if, if you'd like me. Uh, I do uh, like you very much. And, and maybe I'll read your other book. Maybe there's something we can talk about there. Cause even though I'm known for, you know, plant-based chef and all that stuff, I love branching out and talking to really interesting people like you. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, everyone. I'm going to go buy my uh, little ventriloquist doll right here and I'll start practicing and, uh, and I'll see you all soon. Great. Thanks so much, James. Okay. And Take thanks care. all of you. Thanks. Take care. Bye -bye. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. As I mentioned, if you're not already registered for the Forks Over Knives web webinar at 2 p.m., I'm going to be talking about the Seven Habits of Highly Successful Losers. By losers, I mean people that lost weight and kept them off. And then tomorrow on the show, I will have Dr. Sarai Stanek and she'll be talking about her new book. Thanks so much, everyone. Take care.